Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is London Estate Out Loud. I'm Anne Quentin Wolfe, and it is 2016. Oh, yes, it is. We made it, people. Congratulations. And uh, I have a teeming inbox. And before we head into this week's film-centric episode and get the year properly underway, I need to dispatch a couple of responses. First out of the traps, a listener going by the handle ADGB on the comments section of a recent episode says you asked about Frankel trimmings in the latest podcast. And uh, listeners will recognise that name as well from the Art Deco show, which we revisited in the best of recently. And, uh, well, it turns out Frankel Trimmings is a former cinema. Opened in 1913 as Sharp's Picture House, it was remodelled in the 30s and remained a cinema until 1964. And uh, until 1990, it was a bingo hall. Since then, it's been the fabric warehouse it is today. This year, it'll follow the sad, inevitable fate of nice old buildings in East London. It's becoming flats but at least the frontage is being retained and it's not becoming ugly boring glass fronted boxes says adgb and uh, thanks very much for that you've sent as well some sources east end memories cinema treasures and so on and i'll get those tweeted out so that people can share that thanks for sating my curiosity I've got two lots of greetings to project uh, right across the cold Atlantic as well. Warm greetings to uh, Susan Robinson in British Columbia. Hi, Susan. Uh, You don't say where you are in BC. It's a big place. But thanks very much uh, both for your extremely positive comments about the show and uh, also for the idea that you sent in, which is actually one that we've been mulling over for quite a while. Uh, We'd really like to do it. We haven't found the right person yet. But we're going to, and I think you've spurred us on to redouble our efforts. Watch this space. Also, hello and uh, Happy New Year, of course, to Ariana. On Twitter, at Londonist Sound, you say that you want to tell us how much you love the podcast for Londonist Out Loud, notably the Soho one. Uh, and you're, you say your week wouldn't be complete without N. Quentin Wolf. Well, let me tell you, Ariana, I feel exactly the same way. And you like the Soho one, and we talked a lot about film there, and we're going to be talking a lot about film here as well as we meet two people who not only write for Luminist on film and theatre but also are responsible for creating some of that good stuff Hey baby let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound You ain't never seen the light before Just a song through from your front door Oh, 
Hello, hello, and a very happy new year to you. Happy 2016. I hope your new year has got off on the right foot. I wonder whether our podcast this week has got off on the right foot. We are proposing to record this week underneath a train line. I don't know how many feet we are from the tracks themselves, probably half a dozen. We're in the vaults, which is just around the corner from Waterloo Station, the Waterloo Vaults, and we are guests of the Underground Film Club, and with me are Ioana Caravella, who is a film producer, also a contributor sometimes for Londonist, quite often in fact, and Stu Black, even more so, the film and theatre editor at Londonist. Hi, you both. Hello. Hello, hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, yes, good. And we've still got the Christmas tree up, I see. That's going to have to go by the time of broadcast, because that's bad luck. There, there's a general sense of uh, a pleasant chaos here at the Vaults. It's not somewhere I've been before, and there's a theatrical vibe, there's a cinematic vibe. And there's a crazy golf course. Yeah, well, at the moment, they're, we're preparing for, well, they're preparing for the, the next set of films that they'll have on here. And um, the, the golf downstairs is about as crazy as it gets with um, people falling over each other and trying to get to the hot dog stands. Stu has tried um, a, a mini golf, you know, round and, yeah, his experience. It's one of the best places in town, actually, would like to think. And um, is where we run our Londonist film nights and... Um, we're very, you know, happy that uh, we're having this conversation here. Um, as we are excited for what's coming up in January, We've got one more Londonist night on the 16th of January with uh, Suffragettes uh, is the film that we'll be screening. And in pure Londonist um, fashion, we'll be showing a short film um, before then, which is Kate Heron's uh, Valentine. So... Um, 16th of January is, you know, for, for London, it's a very exciting date this month. Yeah, this will be this will be the fourth of our Londonist film nights. Uh, we started in December of 2015, and we had um, to be kick off with Amy, followed by uh, an American Wealth in London, and we actually had one of the actors attend the screening, which was really nice. We uh, had and then we had Shakespeare in Love just before Christmas, and yeah, the Underground Film Club is certainly a cinematic experience. I can I can see a London centric idea in a couple of those films are they deliberately London themed pieces of cinema absolutely we, we've been picking some of our favourite films that feature the, the capital I mean Steve and myself are dedicated to all things cinematic and London based so all the films we've been choosing shorts and features have London at the sort of you know centre of the story they're all done in London and they're, of course, being shown in London. Let's get back to the venue for a second, because this seems ambitious. You've got a film going on just inches away from a railway line. What sort of challenges does that pose? Oh, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It's one of the most extraordinary cinemas, I, th- I think, uh, where you come in and you've got your exclusive set of headphones and a, an incredible screen. Oh, you're wearing headphones. That's a clever move. Completely. It's like, you know... It's very um, immersive. Yeah, um, you have, like, a personal you know experience along with everyone else and what's really funny you can experiment which I've done in one of our nights where you know when we're through for something funny you can sort of take your headphones off a bit and then you know you can hear the whole crowd laughing and no sound which is hilarious okay that's an audio version of that 3d thing have you ever watched a crowd of people watching a 3d film uh, no, I haven't. What, that's that's a real experience. That's almost a better experience than being in the audience <laughs> watching the film because okay. everybody's reacting to something that's attacking them or jumping out of water at them or whatever it might be, and there's there's nothing there. It's a, a mass delusion. Well, the, the, the best thing about this really is um, you don't have to um, uh, listen to anyone else chatting through your film, so you just put your headphones on, you're, you're, you're in it completely, um, and it just seems like a solution to a problem. You can still occasionally hear the, the rumble of a 
tube overhead but I think that just adds to films like An American Wealth in London where you're underground uh, you know being chased by a werewolf anyway I am I'm liking the style of this I don't know that the railway needs to have anything to do with it I think this is how every cinema should be operating <laughs> completely it, the space is very special the screen is incredible you know the, the cinema is old school and it really does to me anyway um, reinstates my, my faith the cinemas are the best way to watch films really now when you say it's old school that brings to mind a trained projectionist <laughs> a trained projectionist <laughs> or, or do you in fact have somebody pressing a button um, no. <laughs> no, we do have actually a projectionist, don't we? Kind of, with yeah. a button, maybe, a little <laughs> bit more technologically advanced. But, um, you know, the, the seating is very, you know, um, it reminds you of, of, of cinemas. It's a bit know. like being in The Muppet Show, I'd say. The, yeah. the sort of red velvet seats. And yeah, the red people, velvet people seats. dropping things on you, and it's, it's fun, you it's know, good. popcorn it's, and, and it's, hot it's dogs. Not, it's not what you get at home, basically. I believe you, and we've got a Chesterfield underneath you right now to underline that point. Let's uh, pull back a little bit, though, and talk about the film and um, maybe also the theatrical landscape of London as it is in prospect at the start of this new year what are the highlights on your horizon oh well 2016 looks like it's going to be uh, pretty big in terms of uh, more blockbusters than I think I can remember for a while and a lot of them do feature London as well the one that caught my eye a little bit earlier uh, in the year was um, London Has Fallen which is the sequel to um, Olympus Has Fallen, an action movie in, in which the White House is blown up. And in this new version, the entire city of London is decimated by terrorists. It looks hilarious. Not sure whether that's intentional or not, but we will see. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the carnage. <laughs> Does it involve a tube strike going on at the same time? Because that really would be awful. <laughs> I think that would be too much. <laughs> It's a great year ahead. It feels like the mashup of superheroes. We've got incredible blockbuster movies coming up. I'll jump a little bit. And one of my sort of you know films that you know I anticipate to watch, The Jungle Book, which has been made with the expertise of our London-based VisFX houses, is coming up with Idris Elba and and Shere Khan. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary that it's um it's sort of Avatar levels of 3D. That that even though it's made in London, within about two seconds of putting on the glasses, I saw a sneak peak a little while ago you do feel like you're in the middle of the jungle it's going to be good right because we we seem to be doing pretty well in 3d don't we go gravity i think was a british film yeah i mean i think almost all of the films that you see have got some input from uh, london technicians absolutely i think you know the the post-production houses of soho you know have really pioneered a lot when it comes to this effects and how we now experience film and they are leaders and i cannot wait to watch the jungle the jungle was a good example actually because there's actually two different versions of The Jungle Book coming. The, the first one will be computer animated, sort of think of Avatar and that's what you get. The, the other one will be done all through body motion capture performances. So every character will be played by Andy Serkis? Well, Andy Serkis is directing and I think it's his directorial debut and he's managed to get a, a really good cast together to um, wear his sort of special suits that he wears. So, so I'm sort of intrigued to see the difference between these two Jungle Books, because even though it's an old story, it's, it's going to sort of have two different versions of the latest technology, so quite an interesting face-off. We'll come back to more highlights of 2016 in just a second. I want to veer off into uh, two questions. One is London-based, one is not London-based. As uh, cinema experts, why do we keep getting this phenomenon repeatedly, that you'll have a big film, quite unusual, and in the same year, an almost identical release? Why does that keep happening? 
well, what were we talking about earlier? Because you had the, the sort of a long time ago the two Robin Hoods and uh, I don't the, know the two Truman Capote films. The two Truman Capote films. I think I, I mean that's, that's so specific. How does that happen? I think possibly morphic resonance. People think of an idea and then somehow the the, the alpha waves reach people on the other side of the the studio and they do the, exactly the same thing. But it's curious, isn't it? I mean, maybe we are just all drinking from the same fountain of <laughs> knowledge. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Well, the Jungle Book is a little bit different, I'd say, because the studios always wanted... You know, there was a film in the making. Now, what's very interesting is, you know, that they're both going at it. Not... I mean, the, the studio version of the Jungle Book is coming out this April and, and the circus is coming a bit later on down the line. And I just think it's very brave... Don't you think? That, it's almost like know, a game of chicken, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just that like, I think they're going had head to head. I don't know. Who's going to back down first? And, yeah. Um, uh, can, two, can two of them actually succeed? Uh, probably not. So one of them is going to end up washed out, I think. And, and, and get we'll compared, to, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that there are things that, yeah, we all love and, you know, some are crazy enough to say, OK, we'll go both and but, make them. But, but yeah, maybe there is yeah. enough room for, for similar projects. I mean, we've had, what, two dozen superhero films in the last two or three years and um, now they're just beginning to mash those up. So next year we've got a Batman and Superman and more Avengers coming and you think... Um, surely we've had enough, but there's no saturation point, it seems, for the market. I've reached saturation point. I, if I see another Spider-Man reboot, I'm going to have to go and do something extreme. But what about oh, his poor uncle? <laughs> Don't you want to know what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, 2016 is, like, you know, the, 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 one of the, you know, the mashups of superheroes. I, I, but I often wonder, though, do you, do you think uh, a future civilization will look back on us, as we look back on the Greek myths uh, two, three, four thousand years ago, do you think people will look back on this time and recognise Superman and Batman as having that iconic status in our society? Society. Yeah, and maybe think it, thinking of us as not having enough ideas to think of anyone beyond that. Um, I, w- mm. I would say that, you know, the, 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 the comic book superheroes are going to get to the level of the, you know, myths of, of, of the ancient cultures, for sure. I think this, these, these are, the, you know, the new... Yeah, I mean, figure. it does say something about the film industry, though, just uh, uh, how much it costs to put on a film and how much they need to recoup that they keep going for these safe bets. Apart from the ones we've talked about, we've got another version of Alice in Wonderland from Tim Burton. We've also got another Tarzan film from... Uh, it's directed by David Yates, who did the Harry Potters. And there's also another Harry Potter spin-off uh, starring Eddie Redmayne called Fantastic Beasts. So, uh, yeah, I think the film industry is an industry, and it always does like to have these temples they call them to um, to make sure that they can pay for maybe the other stuff that is not shouted about quite as much but it needs to get the money from somewhere well i was going to ask you this because you're both up the independent end of things mm. and i wondered whether repeating the same formula again and again doesn't get a little depressing because unless you're on the inside uh, you're going to struggle aren't you? well possibly but um, I mean you can take the new Star Wars as a good example I won't spoil if it I, if I catch a spoiler if this uh, listener if the, if the microphone goes dead suddenly a spoiler has been revealed and I will be batting Stu Black about the head with my <laughs> with my microphone not with your lightsaber please um, so yeah we're, we're going to have to cut that for decency <laughs> I signed away my moral rights so <laughs> I've got nothing left um, yeah so we, we had a Star Wars just now and and I think, you know, it's it's a very retro Star Wars. George Lucas has been complaining about that and um, his apology to the studio that actually bought the rights of him for four billion has been quite amusing to see him backtracking on that. But what people might not be aware of is we've got another Star Wars coming out twelve months from now, so in December we'll be going through exactly what we're going through now with a new film. This one's quite interesting for our point of, from our point of view because it's a London 
based director Gareth Edwards who's moved from Monsters to Godzilla and now he's gone to Star Wars and apparently this one is a bit different what I find in 2016 is that uh, the fantastical, the blockbuster, the big movies are coming back. And it's um, one of those things that, you know, today cinema has to balance it out. Um, you do need blockbusters. You do need the force to, you know, be a walking, if you like, you know, where you fill up the multiplexes to be able to then show smaller films, London-based films, and still make the business work. And that's what we are trying to sort of like, you know, try and find gems within the independent. And also, to, at the end of the day, we all go and watch big, yeah. big movies. And um, you look at what's coming. We've got awards season over the next uh, two, two months, and it's the BAFTAs, the Oscars, the Golden Globes, all of this stuff. And um, they're not the big blockbusters that end up uh, on those podiums, uh, usually. Um, films, smaller films like The Lady in the Van can get a shout or possibly, I don't know... Uh, anything Carol. that Eddie Redmayne's been in. Anything with Eddie Redmayne. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the fact that you can put those under that umbrella, I suppose, is good. And the blockbusters may have a lot to say about helping that happen uh, I had another question mm-hmm. he says in Colombo fashion um, and it, it's just the London centricity of film you mentioned the Soho folk um, working up on the digital processing in fact we interviewed uh, if, if you haven't heard it already we did an interview with somebody who's very meshed into that world just a couple of episodes back but I'm a big fan of Alec Guinness Ealing comedies and there were a few of those on over Christmas and uh, it got me to wondering what the uh, layout of film production is is it all centred in that uh, in that digital world in Soho or the studios still producing or what about the Pinewoods and the Ealings and so forth well the, it's interesting that for the last 10 years the focus when it came to the, the film industry in London was post-production however you do find that there's a lot of investment in Ealing Studios there's new investment uh, Pinewood um, you know and Warner Hammer. Brothers you know the, the, the Hammer, de- Hammer Studios are still going Hammer's back yeah Hammer's back, back. Yeah. there is a very interesting turn in um, sort of bringing film back to uh, London not just when it comes to post-production but produce films big middle you know indies um you know and start shooting also again back in you know in the streets of london um it's it's um i think it's to be seen really but i am very hopeful that you know the um sort of golden days of the Ealing studios if you like you know are sort of coming back to a degree yeah and the other thing that you, i think london or britain will never stop making is uh, period dramas and there's a whole bunch of those uh, coming up some of which are sort of very straight um, as you'd expect and then there are a few sort of quite quirky ones Uh, coming up in February is um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies they've made a film of that they have made a film yeah it's got Doctor Who in it as well Matt Smith Corpses. What else has it got? You know. Go yeah. On. I mean, it's, we'll see if the, that joke can sort of survive an hour and a half in the cinema. But um, who knows? We'll be reviewing. We'll be reviewing it soon. I mean, the, the trailer makes it look fun. You, uh, from, from a London-centric point of view, um, it's, it's great to see St Paul's being burnt to, burnt to ashes by a, a crowd of slavering zombies. So. Another film where they're polishing London up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a habit, isn't it? <laughs> Is that because cinema feels comfortable doing that and not so much doing it to an American city? Oh, that's, that can't be true. San Francisco, San Francisco buys it every time. Yeah, I think yeah. They, I think they started it off with Independence Day a few years ago, and we were shocked the first time that landmarks we knew were actually being blown up on screen. And now, you know, you can't look left or right without King Kong or Godzilla chewing on 
something familiar. So, it, we, we, you know, get used to it. <laughs> the, the James Bond film was a good example recently, Spectre, where um, you sort of think we've now gone into parallel ter- territory because they've blown up landmarks that, you know, bridges and, and buildings that, you know, you, we walk out of this building here, we're going to see them. So, And yet, curiously, the cable car remains untouched. <laughs> it's a matter of time, I'd say, a matter of time. Well, look, we're going to throw a, a break in, and it's an opportune moment, really, to uh, turn our minds back to Star Wars. Our sponsor is very heavily involved in uh, the, uh, on the intergalactic front. If a Star Wars fan you are, the Force is strong with Audible, which has more audiobooks than you can shake a Tusken Raider Gaddafi stick at. And they are sponsoring this episode. From novels explaining Obi-Wan Kenobi's backstory on Tatooine, to tales from the Old Republic, or even six-hour unabridged tellings of the films, there are over a hundred Star Wars-related titles to choose from on Audible, and you can get one for free. Just engage hyperdrive and head at light speed to www.audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist for a 30-day free trial and one free title. For example, hear Mark Hamill and Anthony Daniels narrate a radio adaptation of Star Wars or listen to journalist Chris Taylor's story of how the series became one of the most successful franchises in the world. And with that going on in your ears, you'll have your hands free to fend off foes from the dark side. Membership renews automatically at £7.99 a month after your free trial, unless cancelled. Terms apply. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm in Quentin Wolfe, and we are at the Underground Film Club here in Waterloo Vaults with me, Iwana Caravella and Stu Black, both of whom contribute to the Londonist site. How long have you been contributing for? About a year. Yeah, for me, about two, two and a half, maybe. Um, started with theatre reviews, and now looking sort of to take, you know, take care of both film and theatre. Um, and Iwana. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Uh, helps out with uh, London Shorts, which is one of our pet projects. Yeah, totally. Um, we started last January on weekly showcases of short films by established and new filmmakers who make films in London or about London or certainly, you know, London filmmakers and new voices. And what's been very, very exciting for us is that throughout the last year, um, as the our sort of showcases kind of, you know, grew in, in interest and they've been received really well, we've partnered with the London Short Film Festival this coming to 2016 to actually award a London short at the festivals, um, you know, this year's festival, which kicks off on the 8th of January, if I'm right. Mm-hmm. Until the seventeenth. Yeah, it's it's uh, about ten days of yes. of short film action in about five or six locations across London. A short film festival that is exactly you know what we kind of do online. They take the best um, films, short films, you know, in cinemas, um, the the Hackney Picture House and the ICA, and showcase new voices. It was actually going to the London Short Film Festival last year that that sort of woke me up to the potential of what short films can do I, I, I went to see London, uh, an evening of London themed short films at that festival and I was sort of amazed by the, the, the diversity of it compared to going to see one film at the cinema you're sort of stuck there for two hours if it's not very good with the short films if you don't like it it's fine because there'll be another one along in five minutes time and, and you might like that more and if you get a nice run of them it's sort of like having a, a taster menu at a michelin starred restaurant it's, it's it's a really good experience right and it's that vibe that really works in london isn't it, it can be based around a pub and it's that sort of informal friendly vibe a bit of variety and you don't have to worry about knowing how things work you can just rock up and, and get on with it absolutely i mean festivals like the london Champ film festival have exactly you know for me you know got it right of finding quirky unusual you know um films and finding the right venues to show them surrounding them with parties with networking events with um master classes get togethers for the filmmakers and and more so you know um, still keep, keeping the, the, if you like, that, you know, short films can also look fantastic and be, should be experiencing, experienced in the cinema as well. So um, I think, you know, people should definitely check it out. And what I found from friends who, you know, don't know much about the short filmmaking world is that they actually really enjoy the nights because, as Stu says, you walk in and you watch six films, really, in, 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 the, in the space of an hour and a half and, you know, come out quite, sort of, you know. And you see totally independent individual voices that you know aren't worried about making their money back they just they just want to tell their story so you get something quite unique that, i think a lot edgier, edgier if you like or a lot more um sort of brave filmmaking i'm going to ask you to be brave actually in, <laughs> in your individual personal trajectories through your craft what are you working on at the moment and by that i don't mean what the project is i mean what aspect of your skill set are you focusing on uh, well, I'm I'm writing <laughs> <laughs> mostly. Although at the moment it turns out that I'm, I'm sort of being um, made to go on TV and radio and stuff. So I'm I'm learning that, but I'm I'm finding that fun and um, it's a sort of good way of uh, figuring out what I do think about these things. That you know, when you're staring at a page and you're sort of arranging words, um, it's it's a much sort of um, more embedded process, and um, it's it's good to 
chat about it and let the air through, I think. You, you know, not, not everybody, not every artist feels remotely uh, that way. Uh, well, I think we're all different. That's why it's quite fun when we all meet up and um, have a pint and a fight. Did you just say have a pint and a fight? What, a fight? <laughs> that's kind of networking events are these. <laughs> have I been to any of these networking events? Oh, my God, I've missed out. <laughs> well, we're about to have one now, I think. Iwana, uh, what are you working on? Well, I'm, I'm trying to get better at producing films, I suppose. Um, the key thing for me, and well, the most exciting part of this, you know, um, choice of a, of a life, really, and not a career, is how can I find ideas that I love um, to have enough people that want to watch them and at the same time convince enough people that want to invest in them. And I think that journey, however many years um, you, you, you sort of undertake it, it's different. And however small or big the project is, it's always throws something new into, you know, in the mix. And I wouldn't, you know, trade it for the world, really. Mm. So both of you have to be salespeople. Well, I, I certainly hassle. <laughs> Yeah, that was something that was something I found out the hard way. That you don't just hand it over to other people to do the selling for you. You have to learn <laughs> how to do those pitches and um, convince people that this is the project that they want to pour all their savings into. We, we have this kind of. I think we've we've we no longer talk about selling it. We're more about sort of you know engaging people rather than so selling you see it. See how good she is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because the point is that um, you know ultimately we. It's filmmaking, and you should love the content of it. So it's, yeah, it's, there's it's, no point trying to sell something that you you've just kind of cooked up to to, to make you, a quick buck. And I think that's where you see the big films sort of falling down. Um, that you you can sense that no one really cares. Absolutely, you have to care about the filmmaking. You know sort of processing you have to care about the film you're making and definitely even you know the studios know that too so the blockbusters that really work for me are those blockbusters that still have that a bit of soul yeah in there does that mean that where you've got a film like um i don't know like an avatar or a transformers where everything is everything you're seeing on the screen isn't really there it's all computer is it, can that love and that care still find its way through it's it's a tricky um, sort of challenge. It's challenge. It's a challenge, rather. I think definitely with Avatar, there was that. That was there. The vision was there. Um, the obsession of creating that, you know, otherworldly, you know, s- sort of um, space and 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 milieu, if you like, was was definite. I'd say know? it's almost more likely where they're creating everything from scratch because you have to think through every everything. every cell or every every, every pixel. Um, and I suppose if you've just trying to cobble together something from elements that have sort of been given to you, if you've been shipped in as a director at the last minute and you just have to create a product, that's when the soul falls out of things. And, and unfortunately, you do see that a fair bit. It's, it's strange in a way, then, that a Phantom Menace got such a, a poor uh, rating. I don't know. Where, what can you say about that? Yeah, that was, that was clearly somebody who was invested in his own project and uh, was, was seeing every element of it through as best he could. It's a bit of a mystery, isn't it, for someone to be so competent and then move, you know, twenty twenty years forward to a passion project that doesn't doesn't work at all on any, on almost any level. It's, it's bizarre. Almost, it's a, it's a phantom menace in itself. <laughs> Uh, we were midway, I think, through investigating what might uh, be in store for us in 2016. And I think there are a few, uh, maybe smaller films. Um, for sure. Um, I would say that 
Well, the films that's coming up, I, don't, I wouldn't say that it's quite that small, but uh, there's definitely a lighter sort of, you know, uh, proposition that is coming up. It's Ricky Gervais, um, you know, um, uh, Life on the Road. Am I right? Am yeah, I... bringing David Brent back out of retirement from the office. Um, apparently he's um, taking his rock band around London and possibly Slough. Um, trying to make them successful so uh, possibly flogging a dead horse or possibly hilarious we'll, we'll have to wait and see and on a, on a similar note Nina Forever no I was going to say that one. Oh, this doesn't work on radio I should say <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you... well there is um... oh that one oh, look at that yeah that's a, that's a good one <laughs> no but um, um... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> why, are you, why are you asking me to talk about this? No, but like the the the, the Bridget, Bridget Jones baby is is coming out, and that is to be seen whether it's going to sort of you know be more about um you know Renee's uh, you know the discussion around Renee's face or about the movie. So <laughs> so Renee's know. face is also going to be in it. Um, for sure, um, uh, but we're you know, sure as, uh, we're not sure which is in, is, it, is it her? Is it real? Uh, but it's coming out, and um, I'm sure it's going to be a hit. Yeah, and long, uh, you know, awaited. And that's, that's a that's a good example of you know um, a, a, a London company doing what it does well, a working title, and they've they've had two hits, um, and and they're back for a third. I'm not sure quite how long they can keep going with it, but um, if that helps them prop up some of the other uh, less familiar stuff that they do, then then that's all to the good. Working title, of course, famous for uh, with Nail and I. Yeah, and uh, started with uh, my beautiful laundrette, which um, uh, got them off the ground, and ever since. Since then, I think they've been involved in the theory know, of everything. Was yeah, the working title yeah, yeah, so many, so many British films. Um, a lot of rom-coms. They are known for their rom-coms. Working with Richard Curtis, yeah, particularly. This is how they did actually secure the studio contract, if you like, through the rom-coms with Richard Curtis. Really, mm. Notting Hill is a is a working title, and, and, and a London-centric film. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of their work is yeah. Very much so. It's, they're, they're a British big indie, you know, and they love London and they make a lot of the films in London. Legend was another working title film that came out uh, last year with, with debatable, rev, you know, yeah. com, com, um, sort of reviewing, if you like. Yeah, Tom Hardy as, as two Cray twins. I'm not sure we needed one of them. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? Uh, well, uh, we actually saw that one together, and um, we—it was—it was a struggle to sit to the end. Unfortunately, I, I think he'll—he'll he'll do quite well come award season because it's a showy performance of, of two halves. But in the end, it's—it's um, it's a fairly uh, grubby film about two sort of knock knock about East End villains. Uh, I wasn't impressed. And we we're probably, you know, one of the very few um, reviewers that actually did, um, you know, think that Legend didn't really. Um, deliver. Um, it's been, you know, uh, controversial as to whether it was worth making it as a film. As reviewers, do you find you've got a voice interrupting your enjoyment of the film the whole time, putting together how you're going to phrase your opinion of it? I would say it's almost an extra pleasure because you get to watch the film with everyone else, and, and but you're doing a bit more than just eating your popcorn. You're sort of thinking, right, how am I going to tell people? It's it's a lot of fun reviewing films. You, you get to sort of sit down afterwards and really, really interrogate what you felt, what you think, and... Um, I, I think it's actually when I watch films and I'm not reviewing, I find that sl- a slightly shallower experience. I find it quite interesting because you know it's not only reviewing but also 
because I'm making films, it's incredibly difficult not to have these hats, you know, at the same time as you're watching it. But if a film manages to somehow, you know, make me think about it just as a um, as a regular, you know, average Joe that went to the cinema to watch a movie, then it means that the film was very good. And I like that, that I've got the ability to sort of like play these roles whilst I'm watching it. I love it. Yeah, I'd say as a filmmaker, it's a bit more disruptive because you are sort of thinking, oh, that was a great shot or, you know, I wonder how they managed to get you know, Leonardo DiCaprio to hang off that waterfall with a bear chasing him or whatever it is and, uh, and that can take you out of it I think a bit more than um, the sort of appreciation of it which puts you in it Right, so you've got yeah, that's very interesting. You've got about three or four different hats. The person, the person behind me in the cinema, I hate the changing of all those hats. But <laughs> not, not at least the popcorn. Well, just uh, because we haven't talked at all about theatre, and that's uh, yet another hat to add to the pile. Um, There's even more of a problem in London theatres, isn't it? Because the viewing angles are so steep that you only need the slightest movement from the person in front of you, and the entire show is blocked out. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Some of those old theatres aren't meant for six foot five men with afros. <laughs> <laughs> what should we do about the uh, what should we do about the theatre scene in 2016? How's that looking? Uh, well, um, it's strangely enough, it's the blockbusters uh, from the West End that are shouting loudest at the moment, and um, there's a whole bunch of film-related projects. So there's a, a, a Harry Potter musical coming soon, uh, which has been fairly controversial for a race change in the casting, with Hermione now being played by. Uh, a black actress um, interesting to see that people think that's a big deal in 2016 slightly depressing but you know it is a big deal and it is slightly depressing but you know I think we should applaud the move don't you oh for sure yeah for sure I mean it should you know change them all as far as I'm concerned uh, but it doesn't that speak to that problem that you mentioned earlier of too few ideas and too much reliance on bankers yeah, and I mean, in, in theatre where the, the, the margins are much tighter than in film and, uh, you know, it's much harder to get that revenue back, I think we're going to see a lot more of these safe bets. And along with Harry Potter, School of Rock uh, is being turned into a musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's uh, uh, coming to the West End in December, I believe. Um, Finding Neverland, which was a slightly dreary film with Johnny Depp about J.M. Barry, is being turned into a musical by, of all people, Gary Barlow. So that shouldn't be too interesting um, well, that's, that's a, a very judgmental thing to say well uh, I mean boring squared equals boring cubed I'd say that, that didn't improve it maybe cut that <laughs> it struck me with the Harry Potter thing that I wonder whether there's an element of deflection going on there because we're focusing perhaps on the edgy casting choice where actually it's a very risk averse production Extremely, yeah. I suppose the only risk that they face is is, is disappointing the fans, but it's, it's not it's not a financial risk. Um, the other the other big hitter that sort of seems slightly mind boggling is um, they're, they're about to purpose build a theatre for the Hunger Games. They'll be turning into a, I think it's a musical as well. So you can see the pattern here emerging. Um, I mean, this is one end of the market, and there'll always be sort of wonderful theatre all over London. I don't think you can keep it down. And in this venue that we're at right now, the, the vault's just about 10 metres away from where I'm, I'm sitting. Uh, in February, there's going to be the Vault's Festival, which is about as crazy, wild and whirling a fringe festival as you can imagine. It was brilliant last year. I'm really looking forward to it again, and I recommend everyone buy a ticket. It's going to be amazing. One thing we haven't mentioned so far in the show is how to find this place because it is tucked away. Oh, completely, it's tucked away, and I, every time I come here, I get lost to say 
to admit, really. I do, I do. But it 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 actually is not that hard to to find it. Is is by Waterloo Station and really, well, you say it's like really literally. I think um, by the vaults, really. Yeah, if you know, there's the uh, what's the tunnel called with the uh, covered in graffiti. We're, we're in a complex underneath uh, the train lines, and we're right next to. I mean, th- maybe the best way to describe <laughs> it is okay. We've been going on this uh, for a minute so far. <laughs> you see, and then you can't blame me that I'll, I get lost. I'll, I'll, I'll sum the, it up. I'll sum it up. The, the best on. way to describe this place is is uh, it's in a good area to get lost in. So just enjoy finding it. Give yourself an extra half an hour. You'll find some hidden gems around here. <laughs> Uh, good restaurants and good pubs, so you know. Or certainly go to you know the Underground Film Club website where they have the best map ever, where they actually <laughs> really tell you how to it's get the there. Only, it's the only way and, you find it, and that. it's the only way you can actually find it. However, it's still great. It's 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 beautiful because you actually do feel like you oh you've just walked into an Aladdin's cave and it's brilliant. Uh, I think this is the first podcast where I've got less idea at the end than at the beginning where (laughs) the hell I am. Uh, We're going to come to uh, a reluctant close uh, shortly. Is is there anything else we need to drop into the mix, particularly perhaps about what, uh, if if you had to pick out something for January, what uh, the eyes should be feasting on? Oh, I was going to pick out. I'm not actually sure what date this is. This is coming, but um, a United Kingdom has caught my eye. Uh, it's a, a film by Ama Asante who made Bell a few years ago, which was um, an interesting film about um, a young black aristocrat in Hampstead. And, and this is a sort of interesting play with class and race. Uh, it features um, David Oyelowo. Um, <laughs> I think I've probably said that wrong, as um, a Botswanian prince and Rosamund Pike as the clerk from Lords of London who he decides to marry and he causes a furore uh, within both communities. Um, sounds like an interesting proposition to me. And that actor again was... Oh. <laughs> Um, and also the Revenant by you know with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy who we gave him a hard time um, just a few minutes ago I'd say is a very interesting film to go watch um, and it's coming out in January one more that I'd just add to that um, Michael Caine back again in a role that he's being tipped for an Oscar uh, it's a film called Youth and it's about a uh, retired orchestra conductor who's summoned home to perform a concert for Prince Philip's birthday and uh uh, by all accounts, his performance is up there with some of his best. Well, yes, uh, which makes me ask, which would you consider to be his best performance? I, I, I struggle with Michael Caine. My favourite is uh, The Quiet American. Um, I've, it, it's a quiet film, it's a quiet performance, but it's, it's quietly devastating as well. Uh, I can watch that over and over again and just get immersed in uh, 1960s Vietnam. He plays a, a reporter uh, who has to make a choice about whether he stays covering the war or, or leaves with the, the Vietnamese woman he loves and it's um, it's a very sort of stinging beautiful film I, I, I recommend that that's the sort of note I like to finish a podcast <laughs> on and we're going to do exactly that and there is just a moment or two in which to establish the facts as regards the London centric film enjoyment coming up so 16th of January one of our Londonist film nights Suffragette and a bonus short check it out but most importantly from the 8th of January to the 17th, the London Shopping Festival kicks off in town with very, very you know, interesting short films, fantastic evenings, great cinemas. Check them out. I think it's going to be a very interesting 
you're full of great movies, don't you? Mm. And just the other thing to mention is undergroundfilmclub.com is the place to go to uh, get a ticket for Suffragette and, and the other great films they've got on at the moment. Yes, absolutely, because uh, Suffragette is looking, you know, that it's selling out um, very, very quickly. Um, yes, undergroundfilmclub.com. Thank you for, um, you know, uh, hosting us and uh, thank you. I think my clothes has been done for me. <laughs> That's very convenient. I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going to go make a coffee. So now the, the challenge, as we close the book, I've just realised the challenge now is to find my way out. Is that going to be as <laughs> tough as finding my way in? Um, Ioana Caravella and Stu Black, thanks very much. Thank you Thank so you. very much. And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Ioana Caravella and to Stu Black. Thanks to, to Bernie Barkley. Theme and the incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolfe. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.